Thank you for doing this, Cara. Could you just tell me something about yourself and, and Ashton, just to, to kick it off? Sure. So um, I'm Cara Jenkinson. I'm Cities Manager uh, at Ashton. Ashton is an environmental charity, um, probably best known for our um, Ashton Award Scheme, which has been running for the last 20 years. Um, uh, and that uh, showcases innovators in uh, climate action, both within the UK and the developing world. Um, we um, have worked with councils over the last three or four years, um, helping them to deliver uh, climate action plans um, through resources that we've developed, such as our co-benefits toolkit and our um, 31 climate actions, which has helped councils um, put their action plans together. Uh, more recently, we've been running a series of regional learning hubs um, in the southwest of England, the northeast and in London. Brilliant. So I think our councillors will be familiar with the 31 actions because I've sent it out so many times um, and it's great. Um, but what's interesting in a way is that, you know, whilst it has been updated, things haven't changed that much since perhaps since it was published, which comes to the sort of the, the, the big question, really, which is, you know, how, how since the climate emergency declarations started a couple of years ago, I'm just wondering what your sense is of how far things have moved on. It's a big question. Yeah, I, I think that um, things have moved on in that I was just checking the latest numbers. 80% um, of councils now have climate action plans. And I think if you'd have said that, you know, three or four years ago, to have 80% of, of, of UK councils with climate action plans, that's, that's actually quite impressive. Um, I think that... Uh, I think there's been a big recruitment of climate emergency officers. So I think there's been a bench strengthening. Um, and I think that there's been quite widespread climate literacy training. So to begin to get um, certainly those teams um, uh, up to speed, but also uh, in some councils getting wider teams um, up to speed as well. And I think that acknowledgement that climate doesn't just sit within the um, climate change department or the energy department, but it spans across the whole council into highways into planning into procurement um, and I think the majority of councils now are beginning to look at those pieces um, so I think I think that there definitely has been movement forward obviously there's there's um, funding streams coming in um, from government and that is driving a lot of the uh, resources um, spent on this agenda so uh, the um, local authority uh, um, uh, delivery scheme the lad scheme uh, social housing decarbonisation fund, public sector um, decarbonisation funds, all of that is, is a reasonable amount of money going into local authorities, um, which they are having to jump on, um, possibly not always in the most strategic way, with incredibly short um, funding timelines. Um, uh, but there's certainly a lot of focus uh, going on there. Um, I think, you know, Green procurement, I think councils are really beginning to look at that now. It's it's difficult because I don't think there's much metrics around uh, what, what, what their procurement currently involves and therefore what they should be um, aiming to do. And, and I think it's, you know, some councils are beginning to look at that as, you know, what, what do they need from an inclusive economy perspective? What is it that they need to do to make sure that their spending is as local as possible, that they're making sure that their supply chain is getting greened up as, as well? I think that the councils are beginning to do that. Um, you know, uh, I would name Surrey as a good example. Uh, Lewis, of course, with, with some green councillors there. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, it's beginning to happen. 
That's that's exciting, and that's I mean that's that's quite a positive picture you've you've painted. Um, and there's a lot of things you said there. So, so I mean the capacity issue is is, is one of the ones that the the the, the CCC identified, and which and which people talk about all the time in terms of the LGA. So it's quite interesting you you talked about the fact that we are seeing the emergence of of a sort of a, a layer of climate emergency officers, and we are seeing the training take place. Um, I mean. Do, when you say that's do you get do you get the sense that that's that is widespread that the carbon literacy training is 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 really widespread or, or is it still being picked up by the the people you'd expect to be picking it up i would say it's it, it's a lot of it is going to be by the people you'd expect to pick it up but i would say um to some extent um I mean, if you take, for example, the, the, the government funding going in for retrofit, that is covering a lot of councils. And so inevitably they are having to get trained up because they can't deliver programmes like that without increasing their knowledge of retrofit and low carbon building and heating and, and, and all of that. So so I think that's forcing them to, 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 to get up to speed. Um, so I think I, I, I certainly wouldn't say it's across all councils by 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 any means, but I think it, there's there's a there's a growing interest in it, uh, and I think it's also being driven by elected members. You know, so elected members, you know, from all parties are hearing from uh, their citizens. Well, what are you doing? You've declared the climate emergency. What are you actually doing? So I think there's a lot of challenge coming that route, and that is so councillors themselves are getting more educated, and the more uh, educated they are the, the tougher questions they're asking their officers that's really helpful because because that you know that that just tells people that actually it's worth doing those emails to your councillors that's that's Absolutely. it's feeding through that's really yeah. good you also talked about sort of green procurement and, and although you didn't use the term sort of community wealth building type yeah. approaches and it's interesting that you yes you referenced lewis thank you very much um but also we know about preston but you also mentioned surrey so that that's interesting because i get that sense as well that community wealth building if you talk about it in the right way doesn't actually have to be tribal doesn't have to be party political particularly that, that yeah. you can you can sell this to sort of traditional conservative councils because it is about supporting their local economies so Absolutely. you get the feeling that's 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 going cross party that that sort of approach yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. No. I, I, absolutely. And I think, I think in terms of getting it delivered, I think it's very easy to say it, and I think delivery of it is 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 more complicated because it does mean that you have to, uh, you know, some of those frameworks that they will use that the councils will use for procurement are very much geared to, to large national businesses. And how do you change that so that you allow your uh, local businesses to compete? at a level playing field. I mean, Durham is a great example of where they've used their tier one contractors to bring in um, uh, smaller scale contractors and really to deliver social value through getting those contractors trained up and able to bid into larger contracts. So, you know, I think it's hard to expect those small businesses just to come in and compete without getting help. But if you can make that a joint effort with the tier one contractors, then, then that can, that can uh, yield results. At the same time as providing support perhaps through the local enterprise partnership for for those smaller businesses to get more carbon literate themselves i, th I think there's that's an area that that, that that needs a lot more focus okay thanks for that um one one of the things we haven't yet touched on is is if you like the the campaigning role that councils have and the the you know the, the voice they have out to their own communities yeah because we know that the 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 
you know, the, the, the story is place-based, but it's also people-based, that people are going to have to buy in. People, you know, I mean, even, even you think about the retrofit story, you know, council tenants or housing association tenants are going to have to accept the idea that, that, that someone's going to come in and do a load of work. Yes. And that's, and there's resistance there, you know. So, yes. so are, are, you getting, are you getting any impression that that, that communication story is, is beginning to take off? I, it's, in, it's very interesting you say that because I think from um, a couple of events that I've been at recently, that whole um, resident engagement piece is, is, is really viewed as important because, yeah, from the home retrofit, really substantial changes uh, that need to happen. I think um, using the co-benefits argument is, is, is very powerful um, in terms of demonstrating that you know, your, your home will be warmer, uh, you will be healthier. Uh, you know, costs to the NHS go down, you know, all of those are, 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 are strong arguments to make in terms of uh, bringing people with you. Um, but I also think it's going to be really important to make sure that the projects are delivered with quality. And I think that, that you know, there is a real danger um, uh, uh, with the, you know, when we talk about climate emergency, that there's this rush to get stuff done. And that quality, you know, particularly in things like retrofit, where the quality is absolutely key, that that is maintained. Because what we don't want to be in is, a, is, is another Grenfell situation uh, uh, where, where, where stuff is done without assuring that. And that, that links into the whole skills piece of actually making sure that we have um, uh, yeah, skilled uh, people to actually deliver those projects because otherwise yeah, if there are if there are a lot of botched projects where for example people are given heat pumps when their homes are in, insufficiently insulated there's going to be a backlash because bills will go up not down yeah. um, and, uh, and 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 you know to, uh, it's going to antagonize people so we've got to manage yeah. that very carefully and that and that sort of risk of botching is, is both to do with quality but I think perhaps also to do with with engaging people, and so that you actually pick up on 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 how people see the problems in their own homes. I mean, the way Anthony Herford put it the other day was, you know, you start from the problems, and then you look for the climate based solutions for people's actual real life problems. Yes. And I think, and and perhaps in transport, that's that's clear, isn't it? Because we had we had a bit of a backlash around some of the low traffic neighbourhoods, and some of that was some of that was because you know the government sort of rushed it out without really thinking yes. it through. Yes. But then also the councils did the same the same thing and didn't necessarily engage with people in, at the level of detail where you could actually sort of get something that was not botched and had buy in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, so so on, just just whilst we're at it on transport, um, I mean, so so the, the top in the, in the Ashton 31, I think this is the one that still stands out. In, in terms of transport related is is the Nottingham um, yeah. um, um, what it's called now uh, workplace parking yeah. Yeah. yeah and I get the impression and they seem to be saying that they're they're now available to help other people to model it they are, that's they are. yeah that's so great. they're working with um, I think Leicester is now at the consultation phase so Leicester are really quite keen um, to go ahead and do that yeah. uh, I know they've been talking to Hounslow in London as well so yeah and what, what they're saying is that uh, because of the, the knowledge they've developed that councils uh, will be able to do it much more cheaply uh, because they don't have to set it all up from scratch and Nottingham have been through it all they know what, what works so I think I think we regard that as a, a very positive initiative because we know there isn't much money around for active travel and for electrification. And, and that's what that's what Nottingham have been able to do. They've been able to direct that money in. 
And is, is anywhere, are you seeing anywhere really getting getting to grips with, with buses and with public transport? I mean, we know that in the end it's about government money, but, you know, the, the, the speaking from a rural county, you know, buses is absolutely the, the key to, to, to solving the issues in, yeah. in somewhere like Shropshire. Um, and the uh, CPRE has got this um, Every Village, Every Hour campaign. Um, and and, and when, I'm specifically not going to be asking you about what government should be doing, because that's that's a different agenda, if you like. But yeah. nevertheless, you know, are we seeing, do you think we're seeing councils beginning to get to grips with joining up the public transport story to all this? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the amount of control you have over your buses. And that, that yeah, very much depends on your administration. So, um, you yeah, know, Nottingham have been able to improve their buses because they have the direct control over them and they've used some of that workplace parking levy to increase the frequency of, of buses that are going on routes that aren't necessarily economic um, by themselves. Um, York, uh, which is, of course, uh, it's a Green Lib Dem coalition, have done um, good things on, on bus electrification. Um, so I think they're, they're amongst the leaders there. Uh, uh, yeah, London has been, as, as obviously that's a very different way that, that that is funded. They have a lot of control, obviously, over their transport, but they've been doing great things too. Um, I think on the, you know, on the rural, on the rural agenda, it's tough. I mean, I know that um, Oxford buses tried a kind of demand response system uh, called the Pick Me, Pick Me Up, I think Oxford Pick Me Up, and, and that had to be abandoned in the end simply because it was costing too much money. And I think to, to run those kind of um, services, uh, you yeah, there just has to be an acceptance that there, 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 there will need to be subsidy. Uh, and in a way, you know, uh, 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 yes, it's a subsidy, but actually uh, car, you know, private car transport has its own costs, as we know, in terms of emissions. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it, in our mind, it's worth doing. But yes, as you say, that's a national government decision. Yeah, it's always annoying that public transport is talked about in terms of the word subsidy and yeah. spending on roads is to, talked on in terms of the word investment. Yes. Of, yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, um, so just a couple of other things. So, so one of the, I suppose, the other big one for me is, is whilst there's good things happening, is anybody seriously getting to grips with stopping the bad stuff from happening? You know, and that's, that's to do with the built environment, um, still investing in airports and roads, um, you know, planning policies, which are still allowing, you know, uh, gas borders to go in. Do, do, do you get the sense that, that, the story is, is is beginning to at least slow down and and begin to stop some of those bad investment decisions. Yeah, I think um, uh, in terms of planning, I think a couple of good examples. I would say York again, um, actually, in terms of the, the the building that they're doing on council land, which is um, it's low carbon in use. Um, uh, also, they're looking at embodied carbon, and they're also looking at very much a. Um, low parking neighborhood where active travel is prioritized. So, so that's one example. Uh, Greater Cambridgeshire, I think, is being quite ambitious in terms of their uh, planning guidelines as well. Um, so I think I, I think on the planning side, uh, it's it's beginning to change. But I think they're by no means enough. Um, uh, you know, I think Transport for New Homes did a survey of new developments and, and the vast majority of them were still really prioritising cars. They weren't thinking about um, uh, uh, you know, where they should be cited to, 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 to minimise that private car transport. 
And unfortunately, I think the, the problem is that the planning framework at the moment really isn't allowing you to, 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 to make those calls. It's, it's about where that available land is that's easiest to build on. And that is often not the, 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 the land that it makes sense to build on from a, from a low carbon point of view. So I think I do think councils are, um, I mean, I think they're doing what they can, but I think they are to some extent stymied by the national planning framework as it stands now. Mm. I suppose the other thing for me is, is you know, and it goes back to the, the economic strategy as well that councils have, is, you know, are councils, I suppose the question is, do, do councils get what it means to, to, to promote a green recovery rather than just adopting the old policies of, you know, building edge of town uh, shopping centres or, or trading estates and business parks and just hoping that businesses come in and, and then dealing with it, then dealing with the climate impact you know i mean do you, do you get this do you get the sense that there's lots of councils beginning to rethink local economic strategies in that way i i think there i think there are some i think you probably say the big combined authorities i mean if you take somewhere i mean it's the the classic case but bristol that takes the yeah the, the one city which are really in, in, in embedding the, the the climate into the yeah all of their different policy areas i think greater manchester is also beginning to do that i think uh, west midlands anyway and they, they it, it, for them it's partly easier because they just have a lot more kind of devolved responsibility for what they're doing um so i uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's beginning. I think it all, all, also depends on what the governance structures are. So whether you have someone within the senior leadership team or even within the corporate office reporting directly to the chief exec who's leading on climate. I think if you have that, if you have a portfolio member that is directly responsible for climate emergency, um, and, and again, their position within the, the cabinet, those are the things that tend to determine whether climate is really mainstreamed or whether it's... Um, you know it's just a, a a bit of a bolt on so so i think i think again i think it's i think you'd say if you were to do an assessment it's by no means far enough changed um uh, uh and and i think i think that there it does require changes in national policy to to, to really affect that okay which actually brings us to the last question really which because you said you know if you could do an assessment and of course the government isn't doing an assessment yeah. of how local authorities are making progress. The LGA is trying to do some things, but there's really no benchmarking. There's lots of there's there's so many different you know organisations out there. There's UK 100. There's PCAN. There's all these different people sort of trying to sort of push the picture. But my sense is that it's really hard to actually know how far we've got. You've got really strong. You know, obviously you've got you've got a lot of information because you've given us a really good picture already. But I'm just wondering what, you know, whether you think how much we know about the, the picture at the moment and how much we could know, I suppose, what, what, what we can do to get a better picture. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, we, we don't know enough. I would completely agree with you. I think that the um, from a climate action plans, I think the initiative taken by Climate Emergency UK uh, and my society is is, is fantastic. Um, uh, in, in, so giving an understanding of, of how that's developed, but that really is only the start. It's then in terms of the actual actions being taken. Um, and I think that, you know, there is no reporting framework and what, what reporting there is tends to be at the, the level of the council's direct um, uh, emissions. So I, I think it's, it's, it's extremely hard. And I think, uh, I do think councils face a challenge uh, because they have to set, they've got very limited resource. Do they spend their time delivering 
or do they spend their time reporting? And they will want to spend the absolute minimum amount of time on reporting. And that is to some extent understandable. But I think there is a real issue there because from citizens, because actually citizens will have seen these climate emergency declarations. They'll seen the climate action plans. Now they want to know what's going on. How do we see what's actually being delivered? And that's really quite hard to see. I mean, going around different councils' uh, climate emergency pages, what you'd like is one page. This is what we've done this year, and this is how it hits uh, uh, against our targets and the plan. It's very hard to find that. I think yeah. to, you know, to some extent it's... Um, is resources and it's possibly something that you know organizations like action and others uk 100 could help make easier by making some sort of like standard reporting framework mm-hmm. um but it, it feels it, it feels like then there, there, there needs to be more done here and from the point of view of um scrutiny committees for example mm-hmm. yeah what's what are scrutiny council scrutiny committees doing what's the standard reporting pack that they get how are they holding their, their, their councils to, to account? Are officers having to produce a reporting pack showing the progress made? Is that pack being made available publicly? How is that being shared? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a, a lot of questions, which I think, yeah, as, as, as councils now finish off doing the action planning, now it's the next step. How, how are we reporting back? Should really have been built into the climate action plans? Probably hasn't been enough, I would say. It's interesting. I mean, what, perhaps perhaps a, a strong starting point on all that is that you know the the climate emergency declaration motions generally included a requirement to have climate impact assessments on all your all major reports. We get those, but the quality is extraordinarily variable, and some yes. are frankly just greenwash. You know, yes. sort of they say, well, this is what's good about it, and they don't say that there's no serious assessment. So maybe if there's, and I know that one, I can remember who it was. One council had had actually identified a way of. They put a tool together for writing these with carbon copy with carbon carbon trust, but it's not shareable, unfortunately. So, so having something which is a, which is you know just that tool for how do you write your climate impact assessment into all your reports? I think that would be a really strong place to start with with that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, the uh, uh, Cornwall Council's decision making wheel, I think, is you know, widely quoted, but I think an interesting way of um, you know, taking that taking carbon into proper consideration uh, into every decision. Now, I just agree with the point of making resources available because the, the, the councils do not have the time to to reinvent the wheel. I think if there are, you know, if there are councils doing good things on climate impact assessment or other things, let's share it. Yeah. rather than the, all the reinventing. Yeah. Okay, so our, our half hour is nearly up, and you've given me loads, actually. It's fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to spend quite a bit of time editing this very carefully. So that, um, um, but is there anything else you, 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 want to, you want to throw in whilst we've got a couple of minutes, you know, just in terms of where, where we've got to, what you think the priorities are for the next few months, whether yeah. you think COP's going to make a difference to what's going on locally? <sighs> Um, so do I think COP's going to make a difference? Um, I think I, clear, clearly there has to be a step up in, in, in delivery from, from national government. There's been lots of good targets and I think we need to see more coming through in delivery. So I think it will, rather than COP itself, I think it will be interesting to see what comes through in the net zero uh, strategy uh, and whether that's going to help at all. Um, 
from the COP perspective, we'll probably get some inspiring uh, points of view from other cities. There's a cities day. So let's look outside of the UK because there are some great examples of stuff from outside of the UK that uh, that UK t- uh, towns and cities um, can learn f- uh, learn from. Um, and, you know, we're, Ashton is all about um, sharing good stories. We, we always have been through our winners, um, through our Learning Out Loud platform, sharing what councils are doing. And just really to reiterate the point of, 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 of learning from what others are doing and sharing that best practice. We can't afford to be working in silos, let's, you know, for, for councils to share of all political denominations to, to, mm. to share what they're doing. That's probably one of the most important things that, that, that can happen right now. I think that's useful. That's interesting because I've always I've always been wary in in my role of sharing to our councillors international examples, just because I know that you know the the the, the regulation the framework is so different in in other countries as far as local government is concerned. But maybe we do need to find a way to to learn from those examples a bit more. I think it can help have a, a different vision of what is possible. I think it's that inspiration of how things can be really different. And I think as you were, uh, as uh, you know, sometimes it's just like, we don't do things like that here. We, we, we do things this way. Well, why do you have to do things this way? You can do it differently. So it's really, it's getting people out of their bubbles and seeing, you know, getting inspired by what others are doing. Okay. Um, thanks, Cara. I think we can leave it there. There's loads there. That's really, really helpful.